Hello, Terry. Hello, Shani. So where are we starting out? You ready? Welcome to Brook Army Medical Center here on Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. In the Army, we call it BAMSI because you know we love our acronyms. But okay, the story starts at BAMSI. Tell me more. Well, we've made this virtual trip because it was here, back in 2005, that a doctor and lieutenant colonel named Clint Murray faced one of his toughest cases. Uh, he was a bilateral below-the-knee amputee in Iraq. He actually was in an up-armored Humvee. Uh, the IED, or explosive improvised device, blew up underneath his vehicle and, and pretty much shattered his lower extremities below his knee. And on initial culture of his wounds, uh, both tibias, uh, what was left of them, were, were really colonized with bacteria. The bacteria in those wounds were resistant to many antibiotics, so the fight against that infection would last a decade and a half. Wow. It, it was the case that had the most longevity and the multiple infections over time. So what happened to the patient? In the end, Murray and his patient, whom we're going to refer to as Sergeant Smith for privacy reasons, they were able to fight off the bacteria, saving his life. When Murray was promoted to colonel, Sergeant Smith helped pin on his rank. He was there again when Murray was promoted to general in 2021. They actually gave him my one-star flag. And for those who don't know... Colonel Murray was our commander here at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research before he went back to command Bamsey as a brigadier general. He's now commander of Regional Health Command Europe. Right, and I, I wanted to start off with this case, this patient, because Sergeant Smith's fight is an excellent introduction to the larger war against these multidrug-resistant organisms, not only at Bamsey or even just in military hospitals, but in hospitals worldwide. And people like General Murray and other doctors who've been fighting these battles patient by patient have been aided and armed by researchers here at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. Okay, okay, let's stop here for a second. This seems like a good time to introduce ourselves. That's probably true. I'm Terry Welch. I work here at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, which we call RARE. Another acronym. Correct. Where I'm the Strategic Communications Director. And I'm Army Captain Shani Allen, commander of RARE's Headquarters and Headquarters Company. Hello, and welcome to Rare Science. In the first season of Rare Science, we'll dive into the research being conducted by Rare and its partners as they track and combat antibiotic-resistant bacteria. We'll talk about the problem itself, follow the path of the disease from the battlefield to the home front explore a library of bacteria, and go hunting for disease-eating monsters hiding in our own backyard and around the world. Over the course of these six episodes, you'll meet researchers working on next-generation weapons to fight these diseases, which will not only help soldiers on the battlefield, but may be coming to a hospital near you. And that's why Rare's motto is Defense Health, Global Health. That's right. We hope you'll stay with us. Before we get back to Sergeant Smith's story, maybe we should describe the issue of antibiotic resistance to someone who might not understand. And for this, I thought it might be best to bring in one of our experts, and I'll let him introduce himself. My name is Patrick McGann. I have a PhD in microbiology. Currently the deputy director of the MRSN, the Multi-Drug Resistant Organism Repository and Surveillance Network. Um, and I have been, believe it or not, at RARE since 2006. 
According to Dr. McGann, the problem of these antibiotic-resistant bacteria is not a new one. Uh, they were present from the very beginning of the modern era of antibiotics. Yeah, so I think everybody's pretty uh, knowledgeable about the, you know, the historical story of uh, penicillin and Alexander Fleming finding penicillin mold by accident. Uh, that really was where antibiotics first came from. I'm not sure everyone is aware of Alexander Fleming, as Dr. McGann thinks. Uh, probably not. To make a long story short, Alexander Fleming was a scientist and professor who was teaching bacteriology at the University of London nearly 100 years ago. In 1928, he was growing some staphylococcus in his lab, and as the story goes, he sat down his petri dishes, left the office and went on vacation and just left the bacteria growing all over his office. And that's not really an ideal practice, to be honest. No, it's not. But in this case, it was a happy accident. When Fleming returned from vacation, he found a mole had invaded the petri dishes. And wherever it was in the dish, the staff was dead. A little over a decade later, that mole had been turned by other researchers into a drug that was being used to kill bacteria in people the same way it had killed it on the petri dish, a drug called penicillin, the first true antibiotic. And penicillin was a game changer especially for the U.S. military. Let me give you an example. According to medical historian Vincent J. Cirillo, during the Mexican War, nearly 11,000 of the 11,347 deaths of American troops were caused by what were then called camp diseases. That's mostly dysentery, which can be caused either by an amoeba or a genus of bacteria called Shigella. In other words, 97% of all American soldiers who died in the Mexican War died from diseases, and many of them from a bacteria easily treated with penicillin. Cirillo has said, in fact, that you can divide American military deaths into two different time periods, the disease era, which ran from 1775 to 1918, and the trauma era, which began in 1941 and continues to this day. What he means is that before 1941, more service members died due to illness and infection than to direct enemy fire. Of course, this change wasn't solely due to the introduction of antibiotics. Advances in other medical technologies and the increasing lethality of weapons also led to this change. Basically, doctors were saving more people and weapons were killing more people. But despite the promise of antibiotics, there were already signs soon after their introduction that some bacteria were resistant. Almost immediately upon discovery of antibiotics, um, there was, of course, the uh, recognition at the time that there was antibiotic-resistant strains even back then. Um, so they knew from the very get-go. There's a number of like seminal papers in the 40s and 50s describing bacteria that were resistant to these new class of antibiotics. And unfortunately, with every introduction of a new antibiotic, there was also the recognition that there was bacteria that were either intrinsically resistant to this these antibiotics or were producing enzymes that were, you know, inactivating or blocking the action of these antibiotics. Um, and what we've seen over the last, you know, 50, 60 years is as you introduce a new antibiotic, it's followed fairly soon afterwards by the uh, emergence of strains that are resistant to it. Um, and then these strains can, you know, either, you know, proliferate because everything else dies when you give the antibiotic or they're able to pass the antibiotic resistance onto other bacteria to help them survive also. So it's a constant race. 
Every time we move ahead, the bacteria learn to fight off the new antibiotics and gain on us. Exactly. And the race sped up in the 1980s and 90s when a whole new class of antibiotic drugs was introduced called carbapenems. They were extremely powerful antibiotics, sort of a last line of defense. But still, strains of bacteria that could resist them were almost immediately discovered. And now we fast forward to the mid-2000s and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Major combat operations like these had already ended in both countries, and the missions had turned to peacekeeping and supporting the fragile new government. But American soldiers were still targets of attacks by improvised explosive devices or even suicide bombers. And, as National Public Radio's Weekend Edition discovered, they were facing another enemy, too. 22-year-old Emery lives in Julianne, Pennsylvania. His one-year-old daughter, Carly, sits on his lap. In February 2007, Emery was working at a checkpoint near Haditha, Iraq, when he was seriously injured by a suicide bomber. Um, we were standing there at the checkpoint with uh, some of our higher-ups. They wanted to see how it was operating and stuff, so we took him down. And we were getting ready to leave, and there was a loud explosion. At first I thought it was mortars, but there was only one explosion, so then I figured that wasn't it. And then I was, like, trying to just, like, get up and find my rifle and stuff, but I couldn't move, and I, I couldn't see anything either. I remember a couple of my friends coming over and talking to me and stuff, and my one buddy, I remember him giving me some water. And then uh, they put me in the back of a Humvee. Then they pulled me out of the Humvee and put me back in a helicopter. Emery lost both his legs, not only as a result of the attack, but also because of a drug-resistant bacteria that infected him afterwards. Military doctors know it by its official name, Acinetobacter bomini. The troops call it Iraqi bacter. Acinetobacter bomini was so uncommon that according to one former rare researcher, physicians struggled with pronouncing it, much less treating it. They had never, hardly ever come across it before. Very quickly within the start of the conflict in Iraq, this Acinetobacter baumannia became more and more commonly associated with infections. And unfortunately, it's one of those bacteria that is highly resistant just from mutations, or where they have these mutations in their chromosome that close down the cells so nothing can get in, or um, you know they're pr protecting the, the target of the antibiotic. They have that naturally, intrinsically. Um, so they were already resistant to most antibiotics that you would use anyway. And it's also, as an environmental bug, it's pretty hardy. So it's able to survive extremes of cold and heat. It can survive quite well on surfaces for an extended period of time. Not only was Iraq riddled with Acinetobacter baumannii, a very difficult bacteria to fight, Dr. McGann says the type of wound soldiers were suffering in this phase of the war made infection more likely and the results worse. If a bomb goes off, uh, you're, you know, the, the wound is going to be severely contaminated with dirt and all sorts of um, you know, environmental contamination, all of which will carry to some degree bacterial or fungal pathogens, which can then establish themselves and infect the wound. And then you can imagine you know, if you've had to get an amputation, the blood flow to that area is not very good in, anyway. So, the immune system's response is minimal because it's just not able to deliver the white blood cells to that area. So the bacteria are almost free to do whatever they want within that particular 
uh, wound. Now what you also have to consider is that these types of attacks resulted in multiple casualties, which increased the chances of bacteria spreading throughout the hospital. You have all these patients all together in the one room, all getting treated for serious injuries. You know, it's ha very hard to do infection control, to very hard to stop contamination happening of equipment. And of course, when that's when you see spread of a, one particular bacteria from, from one patient to multiple patients. So basically, pretty early on in the Iraq war, these resistant bacteria were proving to be a huge problem for soldiers. Unfortunately, once it made its way into the military healthcare system, it very quickly established itself and spread uh, right across uh, throughout the whole conflict. So we saw a peak really in 2006. It, you can really map the number of infections with Acinetobacter baumannii with the number of wounded. It's almost a perfect correlation. The more wounded that you had, the more infections you had with Acinetobacter. Of course, Iraqibacter, or Acinetobacter baumannii, is only one of the bacteria that was finding its way into soldiers' wounds. Others included methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, Klebsiella pneumoniae, and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. In fact, Acinetobacter, Staph aureus, and Pseudomonas were all found in the wounds of the soldier we started this episode with, Sergeant Smith. So let's get back to his story. Sergeant Smith was deployed to Iraq, and one day he was in a convoy when his Humvee was hit by an IED. The IED, or explosive improvised device, blew up underneath his vehicle and, and pretty much shattered his lower extremities below his knee. Now once again, this is General Murray speaking. Uh, was evacuated back to San Antonio. It took about seven days to get here. And on initial culture of his wounds, uh, both tibias, uh, what was left of them, were, were really colonized with bacteria. Uh, both Acinetobacter and Pseudomonas and Staph aureus. So we treated him with lots of different antibiotics. Um, not only a um, sort of a drug called imipenem or a carbapenem, we treated him with aminoglycosides. Carbapenem, aminoglycosides. These are antibiotics medical folks often refer to as the big guns. We won't go into too much detail here, but these are usually reserved for very specific situations. General Murray also used colistin, another big gun antibiotic which, like aminoglycosides, can cause kidney problems. But it was a risk he had to take. What you had to do is sort of balance the toxicity of the drugs with the, what's clear this infection. And, and what was sad is that we weren't able to do that balance. Slowly, his kidney function got worse. Um, every day, uh, it showed that his kidneys were functioning less and less well, to the point we had to buy risk and quit treating him um, and just hope he was going to do the best because we were, we were actually hurting him more than we were helping him. And this is one of the challenges of treating antibiotic-resistant bacteria. In order to fight them, you often have to use strong drugs with powerful side effects. Right. It's like using chemotherapy to fight cancer. The cure itself is toxic. But when they stop the drugs... He actually did great. He got both of his prostheses. He was up and walking, and uh, he, he had a little, uh, has, has a little daughter then. Now she's a college uh, student, and his wife uh, got his prosthesis, went home, and was taking good care of himself. Then... The pseudomonas came back in one of his legs, which led to another round of antibiotics with tough side effects. His white blood cell count, or those cells that fight off infections, um, actually started decreasing to the point he couldn't fight off the infection on his own anymore. And we were actually, again, making him sick uh, because of the therapy we went through. So they changed up the antibiotics again and again until finally they stopped the pseudomonas. But then the staph aureus came back in the other leg. 
and the option at that point was to do bigger surgeries and potentially make him go from a below-the-knee amputation to a through-the-knee amputation. Um, and instead, we just decided to put him on chronic suppressive antibiotics. So he stayed on taking oral medicines twice a day for years until he finally stopped it, and those infections haven't come back. Uh, and again, that's a 15-year story from point of injury all the way through today of, of the complications, but really the success of how this story went. Um, and during that time, we got smarter and faster and braver with our infections and our complications and continued to improve the care of our soldiers. And that's what it's all about, fighting these infections to help soldiers. And that's what this podcast is about, too. That's right. And as we close this first episode, we invite you to join us for the rest of the season. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the mechanism of antibiotic resistance, what actually makes bacteria become resistant to the drugs we use, and how you may be making the problem worse. After that, we're going to bring you Inside Rare to meet more of the scientists who are tracking these bacteria, coming up with new ways to fight them, and working on methods to improve treatment on the battlefield. So, please subscribe, and if you liked the podcast, review us on your chosen podcast app. It helps people find us more easily. Rare Science is hosted by Terry Welch and me, Captain Shanee Allen. It's produced by Terry Welch and Samir Deshpande. Rare Science is a product of the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, commanded by Colonel Chad Koenig, and the U.S. Army Medical Research and Development Command, commanded by Brigadier General Tony McQueen. Special thanks today to NPR for the use of their audio and to the public affairs team at Brook Army Medical Center, especially Deputy Public Affairs Officer Robert Whetstone and Corey Toy, who conducted the interview with General Murray. Thanks, and we hope you'll join us again in two weeks. Thank you.